foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. the Katie Says Podcast, where a movement geek, Danny Hemmett, that's me, joins biomechanist Katie Bowman, author of Move Your DNA, for discussions on body mechanics, movement nutrition, natural movement, and how movement can be the solution to modern ailments we all experience. Thank you for that. That was fantastic. Yes. That was well done. Thank you. Okay. So this is part two of the baby episode. We did part one. Yay. I really enjoyed recording mm -hmm. the first one, so thank you for that. It was fun. And I think the second one's going to be awesome, too. We're going to deliver part two today. <laughs> um, gosh, we, got, we had a lot of questions from the first show. So for everyone who gave them to us via social media, thank you. Did anyone come up to the street and give you a question in person? No, but I wear a scarf and sunglasses when I go That's out so that people don't <laughs> recognize me. Don't ask me anything. <laughs> yes. Don't look me in the eye. No eye contact. No, this was good. This was a popular episode, and we did get some great feedback and questions yeah. on it. So here's what we're going to do. So we had a, a structure for the second half of the show, the topics that we didn't get to cover, like breastfeeding and, gosh, what else? Diapers. Hanging. Hanging. Diapers. And, like, movement type stuff. But mm -hmm. so what we did was we tried to incorporate a lot of the questions into the body of the show. And also, I'm going to say this big hunk right up the front, because like a lot of the questions that were coming at us, I think, will be almost self-answerable by considering some of the things that we're talking about. So I want to start with that, if that's cool with you. That That is fine. Is that fine? Okay. That's, that works for me today. So <laughs> I think that I've touched on this many times before. It's in Move Your DNA if you haven't read Move Your DNA. It's in Alignment Matters if you haven't read Alignment Matters. It's really like in every single one of my books. It's this idea. It's been implied in some of those books, and it's been said, is it implicitly or explicitly? If it's implied, it's it's implicitly. Okay, so I've I've implied it, and now I'm going to say it explicitly. There you go. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you, Grammar Girl. Ding. <laughs> Research, the bulk of research on human development, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, I think, as far as education is regarding human movement, the use of science as a sounding board for decisions that, that you're making, is to understand that a lot of research that is used to gather facts, air quotes around facts, about humans is essentially research on a population that is weird, capital 
W-E-I-R-D. So have you ever heard of weird before? I've posted a couple articles about it before. I think you had me at weird. That's the first time you typed something. I was like, this girl's weird. I like her. I like it. No, is this not where we're going with it? No, we're not going to go with it this way. I mean, it's that kind of weird too. You and I are weird. I would say that most people listening to this podcast and many and all podcasts are weird. And weird is an acronym that stands for, are you ready? Yeah. Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Okay, so uh, it, it is a category. So this this kind of started coming out, like there's all this research, right? Like if you want to understand colonialism and science and how those two are related, there's a great book called Science and Colonialism. Oh, <laughs> aptly named, well done. Yes, but you can also just Google, like, it, like you know, like we try to we try to open a lot of people's eyes to a lot of different things. And that's a big one, like this idea that, that you can't really do science above the culture that's doing it, right? Mm. So so when it, as it relates to babies, I'll get back to the baby episode. So much about normal human development is really what babies that grew up in our habitat and environment did. And then we put that as norms. And then we kind of perpetuate that because we're like, no, this is what babies do. Uh. And as opposed to like, I would say, um, I don't know if it was like maybe the 80s or 90s when there was a cross-cultural awareness. There's certainly cross-cultural awareness in some sciences, but not in all of them. And like, because we all come from our own culture, like there, it just doesn't always occur to us that people are doing things differently. It's the norm. It's like what every single other human you know is doing. So therefore it becomes a human norm as opposed to, uh, and I think I heard the best analogy of weird populations in this great article i can't remember what it's called i'll see if i can find it it's like are, are americans weird i don't i don't know if it's americans or in the title but anyway it's essentially that a lot of data was collected on this weird population that is so different like radically different radical outliers of behavior compared to what most humans on the planet right now are doing that it was like Looking at penguins, studying penguins, and believing that you were studying birds. This, Meaning this was that, in reference to Americans. This this was a, in a reference to a weird population. Oh, I'm, okay. the, I can't, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to recall the actual title of the okay, first article that was ever written on it where I became aware of like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like even like basic things that have been used in human psychology and human development for years are like, here's how the brain works. It's like, here's how a weird brain works. Oh, man. And, and when you start – from that data, pulling out recommendations, medical recommendations, and your parenting books are based on weird data, right? So so that's why some of the things that I'm talking about, you're like, like, what? Like, that's not what all 17 parenting books that sit on my shelf say. It's like, well, because the data, and it's, and it's not... It's not like the science is accurate, but science is only as good as the questions that are asked or the populations that are studied or they're, they're only as relevant to, I guess. So when this was a, a noted error of going, we don't really consider very many populations when we were going, here's what babies do and when, right? So all your milestone mm-hmm. charts, we talked about this in the last milestone charts, normal behaviors. You like the way I said that? Right. I, yeah. I just like, that's like your voice, in my, voice air quotes. <laughs> normal. normal. <laughs> that's my air. That is so good. That's my new air that's quote. Good. It saves time. Not right it's now great because we're talking about it, but it saves time because then going forward, for, going, going forward, forward then you it's don't going have to, to say, and I'm doing this in air quotes. It's you can just share. feel like right. exercise. Let's talk about it more and spend some more time. Okay. And I just like to tell everybody do not type in the capital all caps weird into your search engine because I was going to look up this article because the first thing I get is a guy wearing a watermelon on his head and a girl with sausages wrapped around her neck. Just don't worry about it. I'll find the articles Here's a later. cool article. Here's a good article for everyone if you just want to type in. Weird, capital weird, which is E-I, not I-E. Mm-hmm. Weird walking, colon, cross-cultural research on motor development. If you just wanted like one, if you just wanted to spend a whole entire day doing nothing else that needed to be done, it would be to start with this article and then read every reference and similar similar article from it. And then now you know what it's like to be. There you go. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. (laughs) Yes, so that's like a good way to go like, what is she talking about? So essentially this article is talking about, you know, what we haven't really considered is how, or is, is how, environment is really influencing 
these things. I, of course, can only speak to the mechanical environment. That's mm-hmm. what I spend all of my time speaking to, it, you know, the the limitations of movement and and how that affects development. Keeping in mind that I do not, I just consider human development. And I think human development has been broken down into cognitive development and, you know, and, and body physical development. And like that, that you can see that how well the mind performs that will sometimes will, we will set the benefit is like how well you do on an academic test as something separate from how well you do on a physical test that we're not necessarily interested in cultivating those, the whole being as much Mm -hmm. as I think we've really kind of set a cultural preference for maybe the academics because academics specifically linear thinking academics has become the gold standard for doing well. So all of these things are really, they're not really to say one is better than the other, only to give you context for the data that you are using and for where these questions are coming from. Like the bulk of the questions that were coming from like, well, what about tummy time? Right. Well, what about this or what about that? And I'm like, what about crawling? It isn't it required? You know, like all these questions. I'm like, well, these, if you just go look through that article, you are going to have your eyes opened, perhaps. There's probably a ton of people listening to this who have also realized that how what how weirdos do it. Mm-hmm. Weirdos do it is <laughs> is is similar is is different than how is is not is not a stand-in for how everyone is doing it. So when anyway, just, when you talk about these questions, are we talking from a point of reference of just humans? What what we are working with, uh, reframing kind of our understanding of humans <laughs> instead well, no, of weirdos or. What I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm answering basic biology. My, okay. my perspective is, is again, ecology and humans. I okay. want to, I want to understand how the habitat that I'm dwelling in the same way that you would be like, Hey, these zoo gorillas, right? Did you see that article on zoo gorillas? I don't know. See now when I just do my gorilla voice, it sounds like I'm doing air quotes. So. <laughs> Dang it. So zoo gorillas are like, hey, zoo gorillas are having heart attacks in captivity. And it's oh like, we gosh. need to do some research to figure out why. It's like, okay. What? Well, here's their diet, right? You know, so it's like, okay, when you're when you think about something in a zoo and it's not flourishing, you understand that the fact that it's in a zoo, it should even be put on the table as a place to look. We don't understand that as much or didn't for a long period of time. It's it's emerging, I think, with the ancestral mm-hmm. health movement. We never really considered that our environment was unsuitable or a contributor to these diseases that we're all like that are normal for weirdos. Right. You know, so that's that's what all of this context, that's like context for really the podcast, this podcast, the Katie Says podcast, everything that I've written, everything I think, like that's the bigger context. So now you know me. Now you know, <laughs> okay. now you know, like my old ticker. What's in my ticker? Okay, so anyway, let's get to some things that actually like some application of it, right? Okay. So, so my so what's the number one question that I get all of the time? Do you know what it is? For, are we talking about babies? I'd say it's probably breastfeeding is one of them, and then yes. the whole yeah. So the number one question that I get is, what's the best position for breastfeeding? So, also what what's cool about the things that I've put out there is, it should be. At some point, it will be at some point easy to answer. Like the more things you read, even if you're like, well, I'm only interested in breastfeeding. I'm not interested in, you know, natural movement. I'm like, breastfeeding is a natural movement. Mm -hmm. And and breastfeeding, again, is something that we've pulled out that happens like separately from life, right? Like that you're supposed to sit down and take 40 minutes or 20 minutes out of your life and only get breastfeeding done, right? Like that it's that it's happening without context of a natural of of the world outside of the rocking chair and you're only just looking at the gorilla's diet. You're if you're we ju- do it this way. You're just looking at that you have the luxury of only doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So and I posted a, a beautiful picture, one of my favorite family pictures of me breastfeeding my son, which you can link to in the show notes, in the middle of a photo shoot because as we're going to talk about it, like I was a particular type of breastfeeder and I'll get into the breakdown of that in a second. But I I never really thought of like breastfeeding as this thing from like from an ergonomic perspective, right? So this goes back to that ergonomic discussion from last baby mm-hmm. show, which is like, well, 
what's the ergonomically best position to breastfeed? Like, that's what you're asking me. And that, and if you refer back to that last show, like ergonomics is kind of like its assumptions are based on like, what's the best way to sit still and breastfeed? Mm -hmm. What's the single best position? What's the position that doesn't hurt my back or whatever? I'm like, the reason breastfeeding is hurting your back has more to do with how little you are moving and how you always use the same position for everything, baby carrying, baby breastfeeding, because it's always done outside of doing anything else. Right. So for us, and again, this is not a parenting show. I'm just trying to give some examples that I have lived through to kind of illustrate my point. That's not to say that you have to do these things. Like natural movement, moving through nature is like something that we value and by valuing it, prioritize it as making up a large part of the day. It would be a huge drag if I had to sit down and nurse every couple of hours for 20 minutes, you know, when when everyone else, the collective is moving. So I would just walk and breastfeed. Like it wasn't, I didn't sit down to do it. So is walking, like walking is a position, a breastfeeding position for me, as is we're sitting down and eating lunch now. Everyone has stopped from their walk and we're all sitting on the ground and maybe baby would hop into my lap and and breastfeed, Mm -hmm. right? Which is different than sitting in a chair, right? Because you're engaging more core muscles when you're sitting on the ground, holding yourself up as opposed to like relaxing back in the chair where, where your body isn't doing anything muscular wise. Sometimes I'd be in the middle of gardening or moving things around or doing something else and was being requested to nurse. And I would just bend over to my standing child and put my boob in their mouth. Gardening boob. Awesome. Gardening boob. Right. Which is not as muddy as you'd imagine. (laughs) So, So it's just like I never use a single position. I was just moving through life and put them on the breast. But... Keep in mind that that rec- that is that was something because I've said like well, I couldn't people have said I I could never carry and breastfeed I'm not strong enough and it's like yes I understand that that's really what the bigger issue is your options are limited by kind of an overall weakness so that's why I really don't even enjoy doing a book about breastfeeding or a show about breastfeeding and a show about this because people tend to pick only what they want to know about. Mm-hmm. Where the whole thing influences, like the fact that I carried my kids is what allowed me to breastfeed them on the go. The fact that I don't have furniture is what allows me to squat down and nurse for 90 seconds because that's, I did short duration breastfeeding as we'll talk about the different types of breastfeeding, right? Okay. So it's, so people are also going, we need to talk about breastfeeding next because they're like, <laughs> well, I nurse for like 20 continuous minutes. I can't squat for 20 minutes or right. so. I need my boppy because I got to do it for 20 minutes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Sure. So so that's the next thing I think we should talk about. Okay. Well, let's go there then. You want to talk about like frequency, duration? I know uh, that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where should we go? Because. Well, let's start with I- food for. So we talked about the reason, like what is the value of breastfeeding beyond a way to get, you know, you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole orthodontia thing mm-hmm. was part of it. That was kind of a, an, a definitely my third th- third time through movie day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I never saw that before. And it was all about our teeth. And mm-hmm. you kind of brought that to my attention in a podcast that that early jaw and bone development has changed as we've developed from that hunter-gatherer population to more agricultural people. And that's why we need more orthodontic intervention. Yeah. And the, so our genetics are saying, well, here's how many, how many, <laughs> what size of teeth you're going to have. But then the development of our jaw bones isn't really going to accommodate that. Well, it's so, like this, it's the same thing. Like if you, you're the shape of your bones. So now you have, like, there's a lot of homework for this show. <laughs> you're going to have to go back and listen to the bone show, the robusticity of your jaw, which is the the density, but also the shape of it that facilitates the number of teeth that you are predisposed to genetically is dependent on these other mechanical forces that have been alongside human development forever, which is the fact that you have to chew your food and that people would be breastfeeding for an extended period of time. By an extended, I mean anywhere between three and five years, or I mean, maybe even later, three and six years. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's every culture is different. The thing right. is, there's no single culture that does it, does it in a single way. It all depends on food availability and really the availability of weaning foods and things like that. So anyway, we have outsourced, this is a good way of thinking about it. We have outsourced our children's, in a lot of cases, 
the need for them to do the work that's that is the exercise like you could think of breastfeeding as exercise for this show we have we've removed all of the bulk of it that would have been occurring naturally and so they are left with a shape that just doesn't really align with other aspects of their of their genetics and so we have the technology of orthodontia to to take care of mm-hmm. that issue but you know, it's like one of those things like you just kind of culturally accept that everyone will have this phase where they just sure. go in. And if you go back and listen to the the food food show and the bone show together, it's not only breastfeeding. It's like it's other things and nutrients and whatnot. But right now we can just consider the loss of those forces. And so but I like to highlight because I've done talks on this before and someone will say, well, I did breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And I said, OK, well. Breastfeeding is a category like squats, right? So a lot of people will think they'll say like I squat because they're doing squats like in an exercise class, but they're not the same squats that another person would be be referring to that they do a full elimination squat. And then you have things like the frequency of squats. Do you do like 50 squats all at once or do you distribute them? those 50 throughout the day, because each one of those is going to elicit a different response. And so I don't, I don't know if most people know um, that mammals are classified by feeding type. So mammals suck. That's my, one of my favorite. (laughs) I would love a book. I would love to publish a book called mammals suck by someone who is like an expert. in. um, I I would buy it not knowing anything. You're like, bring it. She's in. Bring it. Mammals are either continual feeders or spaced feeders continual feeders are always i like i proximal how i think about it they're either attached or they're trailing after their parents like there's very little distance between them and their parents at all times okay and then there are space feeders space feeders leave their babies so feedings are farther apart so those are the two and then there's kind of you know like anything those are the extremes and there's kind of a continuum because we're always evolving and changing. And so we can make categories that consume most, but then there's people who are in between who are kind of some of one and then some of the other. But the type of feeder that you are affects milk composition, right? Because if you're feeding, so a a continual feeder will have a particular milk type that kind of supports Shorter feedings, so there's the nutrient composition will differ between the two, like the amount, the percentages of fats found in each one, also the flow rate. So it's like I don't know if viscosity is the right word. We'll just use thickness for right now. It's the thickness of it. All that is different depending on how you feed. So just so you know, like it's not just a single thing that every single mammal is experiencing the same one. We call it breastfeeding, and when we do that, I think we just tend to say I breastfed, and you don't really. Think of the more nuanced loads of it all, and the fact that it's that it's very different across the board. It's fascinating. And I think so because yeah. I I love a bre- I I if I could probably do anything else, it would be a like a a, a researcher specifically on breast milk and breastfeeding. I just find it I find it fascinating. I don't find the data to be very very prolific, and so I would just like to like live in there, like mm-hmm. many of you surrounded by breasts all the time <laughs> and their milk and and what they can do like it's just it's very cool and anyway so what was i talking about okay so the different so, types yeah space and proximity yes and so i would say that many people would probably call themselves well okay let's say it this way so so the only parenting book and it's not even a parenting book it is a collection of research articles like cross cultural research is called hunter-gatherer childhoods. That's the only thing that I used to inform. Besides this, a bunch of other unrelated articles. It was just a. It was a really great book if you're interested in a cross-cultural perspective on what non-weirdos do. It's a really great book. It is research. It's kind of dry, but I found it fascinating, and I imagine that a lot of people would as well. So, so this is in that paleo parenting. If we think about breastfeeding as exercise, in the same way that if you walked, like, say, I walk five miles a day. If you walk five miles in the morning and that was it compared to walking five single miles distributed out through the day, you are coax, you would coax a different shape, right? Mm-hmm. So the same is kind of with breastfeeding. So when you are 
a continual breastfeeder, you end up, I want to say it's like two to three times an hour, you nurse. I was a continuous really? feeder. I was a continual feeder. So you're nursing two to three times an hour. It feels like that's all you do. But it's also no big deal because... It's like two minutes. Yeah, it's not a huge chunk of, you it, know, no, sit down, super, get the boppy. No, no, it's none of that. They run over, they get their milk or they crawl over, crawl into you, get their milk and they pop off and go off and do it. So it's like, <sighs> it's not, it's very, it's way less sedentary for the mm-hmm. child and for the grown up, which makes sense because in the, in the natural world, there's a lot of things to get done, right? So if you have this kid on you all the time, and they're they're nursing for a second, but you you are like working and foraging and and doing your doing your thing. So that's like it's just a it's a sure. well, and you just see it with animals too. I mean, a cow's chewing the grass while while the calf is nursing. And exactly, it's not like she's like, okay, let me check my voicemail and email while you do this. You know, she's she's got to make herself get her nutrients too. Yeah, and moving around, you know. So that's that's kind of how the spacing goes for a continual feeder. When you are a spaced feeder, you're you're usually feeding for a longer bout every mm-hmm. three hours. Right. Right. So it's it is much more of a commitment. I think that that's what a lot of people are like. I'm on this. I'm on this schedule. So it's it's like much more of a long term positioning requirement. You know what I mean? Like you're actually thinking about how can I be comfortable because I'm going to be here for a half an hour. So that is a different type. So that's one way of looking at breastfeeding, right? And mm-hmm. so you're. And then there's this other way, which is just it, it's more dynamic overall for and it, it offer it affords other positions that you might not feel comfortable in for 30 to 40 minutes because you're not in them for 30 to 40 minutes. You're in them for two minutes. So anyway, just to kind of delineate between those two. So in hunter gatherer childhoods, what they're saying is the data shows that weird mothers, which it, which is most of us, really have become spaced feeders, which is not the way that it is for all other primates, including the bulk of hunter-gatherers, you know, keeping in mm-hmm. mind that people are making the transition, right? Because because we've got this work requirement that's new. And that work requirement, like due to globalization, is there is an effect on mon- on on some certain Absolutely. modern hunter-gatherer yeah. populations too. I just hate I just I just don't want to imply that like Here's how everyone does it this way, and we're the only ones who like right. everyone is everyone is trying to do the best they can in the environment they have. The problem I don't think is what we're doing as much as what we don't consider and mm-hmm. also the impact of the environment and the impact of the society and the way that we've got society set up. So anyway, yeah. weirdos are spaced feeders, and then now we delineate breastfeeding. So keep in mind that we're spaced feeders. We're breastfeeding ourselves is on demand. Or scheduled, meaning you're you're either trying to set a schedule and get the baby to feed on your schedule, or you're like, I'm an on-demand feeder, and they feed when they want. But really, because of the way that we live in modern world, it's not, I think that for a while, there were many people who believed that on-demand weirdo breastfeeding was the same as being a continuous feeder. But in, Mm -hmm. in looking at the actual number of breastfeeding sessions and the duration of them it's not matching it is much more you're just you're just doing an on-demand format of spaced feeding so i like to delineate between those two because i i find that fascinating like okay so i was a continuous feeder and it required that i significantly altered my life from years (laughs) like because they're with you all the time you know there was no bottles or no pumping it was just there all of the time Mm-hmm. So I don't want to imply like, yeah, everyone should do it because it's not, it's not, it's certainly not feasible without some major changes and investments and a transition of how you thought your life was going to go. <laughs> but what, that's all parenthood, right? Sure. Okay. So that's, that was a super long answer to my positions question. And I think that we've already touched on the difference between bottle and breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did. In Do you think that you could regenerate that answer for me? Like, could I give you a pop quiz? Oh, my gosh. No. Okay, so then I will. Like, the difference between the two when they've hooked this up. It's like that dream I had. class <laughs> and no pants and test. What? Can you not get your locker open? I can never get my locker <laughs> open. I'm locker. like, I don't know what my. 24-0-25. That's my high school <laughs> locker if anyone wants to break into it. Isn't it weird, this stuff that you keep in your mind? So 
just real short in case this is the only show that you've listened to. This is your entry portal in. When they hook up baby faces to EMG, which is electromyography, and I don't, I don't recommend that anyone does that. It doesn't hurt the baby, but I just like here, put some pads on, stickers on your face. You're measuring which muscles are doing what and when. So nursing is milking. It's not sucking. It's milking. You're using your tongue to like, if you ever milked a cow, I feel like I've already said all this before, but if you ever milked a cow, you're, you're grasping and rolling, right? It's got this like rolling. So you're doing all of this work with your tongue. And if you've ever sucked on a Jolly Rancher, you know, like you're like fatigued by the time you're done, you're like, ah, you know, cause you're working these muscles that you don't, we don't really work that often. So this baby has got this built in exercise program that they're doing two to three times an hour, a lot of hours for three to five years. All right. That's, that was what the human jawbone kind of that, that, that was what the experience of the human jawbone has been as humans have kind of evolved is that clunk. It's only in a very short period of time. The, that's why it's weird that we've done something to remove all of that work for the baby. We've just removed it. So either in breastfeeding for a shorter period of time or in bottles where the bottle, you are not having to work. You're, you're having to work, obviously, a little bit, but it's a, it's a di- different set of muscles and motor pattern. And they're essentially, the milk is coming out, right? If you invert the bottle, you'll see it's coming out. They're just stopping the flow with their tongue. So it's easier for them. And thus, like all of it, it's a different motion. It's easier. And then the frequency is much less. The distribution is much less. And the duration is much less. You get a significantly different set of loads in those two scenarios. So that's what I have to say about breastfeeding. Just to, and, and I couldn't answer that because I was doodling abreast on my notes with teeth. You and so many. And <laughs> you and so many right now are doodling okay. that exact thing. That's, that's my excuse. And yeah, we kind of touched on that in Food Forces. But when you, you personally, and I know you're just illustrating, you know, some differences. When you started feeding solids, did when did you do that? I mean, was it like kind of baby driven? Yeah, it was baby driven. Because I know you breastfed for... Gosh, until what, for three like and a half years. So three, yeah, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yes, three years and three and a half years. Mm, mm, mm. Three and a half years and three years, old, oldest to youngest. Uh, you get my respect, lady. That's well, pretty good, and it's fine. And I mean, and, and I, yeah. and, and also to be clear, with the availability of food, I believe that there is like this weird phenomenon with the word "should" going on. Like this is well, this is how you should do it. Like, this is the right or wrong way. And I, I don't feel that no, way. No, and I certainly, just so you know, didn't mean like you no, 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 no. that you did that, but that's no, no, a no. lot of work. It's that's a lot of work. I and I, you know what, and I, 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 it's not about that. It's more about, I think of these things as nutrients, right? So we, mm-hmm. like, there's this judgment. I mean, there's a lot of people who are unable to breastfeed. And like, I'm really just talking, I'm talking to everyone right now. It's like, the point is not about what individual people are doing. The point is, to change the scientific body of knowledge, right? To like, we really need to be asking better questions like for the technology that we have and the money that's going to the studies to continue to ask limited, you know, uh, ethnocentric questions. I, I just don't feel like that that's the right use of funding. But what I meant more is it's one thing to say that, you know, breastfeeding is the is the best thing and to, and to do it this way is the right way to do it. And it's another thing to say that, that doing it this way might be what creates the nutrients to not need things later on. That's okay. more my perspective is like, here are some ailments that everyone is paying for, taxpayers are paying for. We don't see orthodontia as an ailment, but here are side effects of behaving in a particular way. I just like a really clear picture of like behavior and and uh, consequences is even not even the word, like outcomes, behavior and effect, behavior and effect, behavior and effect. That's what science is, is studying nature mm-hmm. to see how it works. And so that's that's really my my interest. It's not that people absolutely do anything differently is to go, here's here's how here's how it's work, you know, here's how it appears to work. Now for me, my choices were like, okay, well, if I could change my life right now to do it like this, to see if, you know, to not have these effects later on, then I will then I will try it. But that's just a personal decision. For for me, Katie, not necessarily the biomechanist. 
you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I just like to. No, that's cool. Too. Okay. I want you to go back to my food question. Nope, I'm not. Okay, what's your, okay, what's your food question? <laughs> I'm so, going to lasso you, lasso <laughs> you in. Okay. When you started, so you fed for three, three and a half Yes, but not years. exclusively. They were right. eating. I mean, they were, I was introducing whole foods, you know, when they were six months old, okay. you know, like in like egg Was yolks. that pretty much like all them doing all the food to mouth movement? Y- yes, I never fed okay. them. I okay. didn't do any, like no baby food. They just ate baby versions of what we were eating or pre-masticated food, which is a less creepy way than saying like I chewed it up and gave it to them, spitted, you know, I just, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Again, hunter-gatherer. Hunter gather childhoods. I just I remember that there, was, there was like a thing on the internet. I think it was Alicia Silverstone was. chewed up food and yeah. and fed it to her her little baby. And people they flipped, dude. People they flipped, flipped like it was the most repugnant thing. At least right. the the reaction on the internet, as you know, is sometimes overblown. I've had biologists at my house flip, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Have you heard of the microbiome?" Like, like they're <laughs> and they're just like, but they're but they're trained, but they're you know again their culture where they're trained does not include, right. it's like, no, no, I like work with trees. You know, it's like, I don't right. do any of that like weird parenting stuff, you know? So like, this is, this is a person who is educated extensively yes. in the, like, it's just, it's not about, it's, it's about culture. It's mm-hmm. not about education. It's not oh, about totally. smart or stupid or informed. It's, it's about culture. Yeah. And so, yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about either, Barefoot babies, which we've kind of talked about foot development a lot, or mm-hmm. how about hanging for babies? What do you want to know about barefoot babies? I love well, them. Well, I mean, I remember you wrote a thing about you cut their little PJ bottoms off. Sure. When they were starting to walk and stuff like that. I mean, okay. we all know why barefoot matters, but on so many planes, I guess, for a baby's development, it matters. Okay, so all, all these questions, again, that people had, they're like, what about this? And what about that? And like, what exercises did you do with your kids? Like that's, that's, I think what people are wanting to know because they're trying to figure out, I think that they're trying to figure out what to do instead of what not to do. You know what I mean? Like what corrective, oh, yeah. act, like I'll get that. Of those questions. Yeah. And it's like, well, what six, what three things should I be doing every day for my kids? Like yeah. that's the mentality because we are in the corrective exercise mentality, not the change your lifestyle mentality. So mm. what I did with my kids was not so like I guess I'm gonna read one question that we got. Like one question was it would be interesting to hear more about like what you did with your kids for their motor development besides the videos that I posted with baby exercise and some of the hanging videos, like fill in the blanks. What else did you do and what age? So mm-hmm. that is not my that was not my approach to parenting. My approach to parenting was not the exercises that we did. My approach to parenting was trying to mitigate or become aware of first and then see if I could eliminate the negative impacts or the limitations that were placed on human development that are culturally handed down from one culture, actually from handing down from one weirdo to another <laughs> is, is a better way of saying that. So that what you just brought up was an example of that. I didn't do foot exercises necessarily with my child. What I what I did was one day and okay and also keep in mind that a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about now I wasn't primed with it going into parenthood. I just because I'm an observer of movement mm-hmm. by nature and also through training, I was like, "Holy crap, here's what's happening right now. My child, I put my child in onesies. Onesies are amazing. They're cozy, they're warm. I love them." But when my child I didn't know when my child was going to go from crawling around to standing. Just one day I noticed like, oh, he's trying to get up on something. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed to my horror that his contractions of his leg, all this, all this stuff that had been intrinsic with him, which was the timing to then start pushing like his brain and his mind had met this point in which they were now, it occurred to him in the same way of 2001, shout out Arthur C. Clarke. Where this flash of insight comes in. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh my gosh. Still, I I put a quote. It was just such an influential book on me. It just shows that like why nerds love sci-fi. Anyway, <laughs> you know, like there's this moment of like, I'm going to try to stand up, you know, like, and it's not, he has 10,000 billion 
seconds of watching us be upright. And one day he just realizes it's something he can do too. And then Mm -hmm. he goes to push against the floor, this kitchen floor and his foot, I can see his foot sliding. And, and I realized to my horror that what I had put on his foot, because it kept him warm and, and cozy and healthy and feeling a certain way, was eliminating the natural response to what he was doing, which would be a feedback loop for him to continue to do it. So, so you ran just, at the baby with scissors in your I hand. did. I actually, I ran, they're in my hand and I ran, pointed towards the baby, right? <laughs> yeah, so then I'm like going, this is it. Like, this is this is exactly what I'm constantly trying to see is some blind spot where something that I, like I assumed that they just needed to be bundled or warmed or, or whatever, hadn't been paying attention. It's like, oh, he's just not strong enough to get up. And I was like, no, that's not what the case, the case is, this is friction. Mm-hmm. This is friction and traction. And I created this scenario. None of this would exist if it wasn't for our house and Costco. You know what right. I mean? Like linoleum and onesies. Exactly. And so then I cut off all of the feet of all. I mean, like you could look at it and I've, and I'm with people all the time, you know, and they're just like, Oh, he's like, Oh, he's going to go through this huge stumbling phase. And, and, you know, and then, and he just has a hard time getting up. He's just not quite strong enough yet. And I'm like, no, that's not what's happening. What's happening is the interface between a onesie and linoleum is, is deep is, has turned off basically the strength of his skin to facilitate that movement. So I cut all the feet off, all the pajamas, no more socks, you know, you know, just like, it's like little things like that. That's more what I did. Also what I did do though, to answer your question, like about hanging. And if you read this weird article that I mentioned, a lot of cultures, and and I use the weird article as a source for many other articles. Don't only read that one, read the other 120, because that will give you more insight as opposed to the summation. A lot of other cultures, part of their baby tending regime is infant exercise in the form of massage and stretching where they touch, you know, they're washing or massaging or oiling and then just sometimes just for the purpose directly of, you know, stretching them out, um, which we talked about in the last show. Mm -hmm. It's part of their culture. And in response, they walk sooner, you know, and I guess the big debate is like, is sooner like at what point is it are we are we rushing it or are we delaying it like those right. are those are perspectives i don't know if there's a right answer to that so the only you know it can be kind of arbitrary where you choose to draw the line and for me where i drew the line was well i'm going to assume that anything that's limited by my modern habitat is a delay and so instead of introducing a bunch of things to speed up I'm just going to remove the delays. And by doing so, I feel okay, you know, because as a parent, you just have to pick the line where you're going to feel okay. Sure. I feel okay, like I'm not rushing, nor am I hindering that this is, I mean, for me, the fact that I live in a modern place, you know, and in time and and I'm a a weirdo, like I'm a weirdo, Mm -hmm. you know, that this was where I felt okay about. So that is more like what I did with my kids. I didn't do hanging exercises. I did do hanging exercises, but like I didn't approach hanging exercises like here's what I need to do to keep my kid healthy. I was like, right. here's what I do, and then here get on my body and you start hanging on my body. Like I was mm-hmm. always trying to, you know, I go always trying to put it into a natural context, right? You know, of just kind of making it functional in the same way we think of trying to make an exercise functional. I was trying to make my parenting practice practices functional, and that included. I, did. I love that video of your daughter. It's one of my favorite videos that you've done. And she was so little. It's like she'd hardly had any hair or anything. And <laughs> she she's was, hanging. She was 11 she's, months she's old. She's to hang. Yeah. But you can totally tell by the way she's looking around that she only wants to hang because everybody else around her is hanging. You know, the adults, the kids that are older. It's not like you're standing over her, you know, with your checklist going, okay, you have to hang now. No. You can, t- you can tell just the way she's looking around. She's like, huh. I want to do that. And then that whole progression of her doing that is, is it's also an Arthur C. Clarke moment. You know, it's just, it's awesome to watch that happen. So I'm actually going to link to that in the show notes if that's around. Yeah, is it's that a, around. It is. It's actually a blog post. I don't know exactly. That's right. Okay. A, I'm going to do can, that because that's a good one. Um, well, and, and I, I think, you know, part of that natural environment to go back to other shows is, is them being around children of all ages. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I think that we're like, we're at this point where it's like the, single parents job 
to provide impetus for all these things. So we're like, give me the list of exercises. I'm like, well, you know, being around children of other ages outside of your own immediate family, it exposes your child to lots of different skill sets. I mean, I am not overly fixated on, you know, like academics. Right. As, and and because I, I mean, I, I am a, I am an academically successful person. I am a linear thinker. And you know, what's, what's popping in my head right now are things like crawling, like isn't crawling. So that's another thing, crawling, like crawling. I see this over and over at movement workshops, like everyone needs to crawl. That's how you learn, you know, like the, you know, crossover and like, that's the full way for the brain to develop. And I'm like, there are a lot of cultures that don't have crawling phases. Mm -hmm. Like putting your child down for an extended period of time on the ground is, is um, not safe in a lot of places. And, And, you know, and it's like, and it's not safe in a, in a lot of places where most humans came from and, and live for a long period of time until now. So sometimes we confuse being successful in an academic, in a linear thinking academic setting as what humans should be doing. And I, I really kind of hold space for this idea that humans are like pack animals. I'm sorry, humans, I mean, humans are tribal, but similar to packs, people have different strengths and those strengths kind of serve their role and you need people of different roles. And I don't know if everyone needs to achieve the same milestones Mm -hmm. in the same way or that we all need to be forced in a particular set of milestones that bring about a particular way of thinking that is successful right now in this world. And I think it could even say that the success is limited to a very specific evaluation of like money and not success in terms of other things like sustainability (laughs) or happiness, right? it's slowly shifting. You know, it's slowly slowly, shifting. And again, like I always come across like some cross-cultural wacko instead of what I am, which is just a weirdo who's trying to keep an (laughs) eye on my weirdism. Like I'm really trying to be mindful of of things that I do that I'm like discovering myself. I am my own ape and Dion Fossey at the same time. I know. And we just have to make sure everybody understands that wacko and weirdo are not interchangeable in this conversation. No, no, no. Wacko, I haven't figured out what wacko stands for, but a wacko is a weirdo who is aware that they're weird, maybe. Yes. So I'm fully aware that I'm weird. And and in many cases, I am grateful that I'm a weird. You know, like I, I don't, sure. I, I am very fortunate. However, I... I just like to consider everything all the time. Right. And I the think end. just in, in summation kind of for all these questions that we got and people that followed up on the the Babies Part 1 show is just all the stuff that that you write about and that we share in the show notes and stuff. That's That kind of answers all these questions in a way. I mean, there's no real specific bullet-pointed list that that answers these. And I think just going the, – the more time you spend with this material, at least for me personally – the more I'm able to reframe everything yeah, and not so much look back on, Oh, I really messed that up or, or I should do this, but it's like, huh, I never thought about it that way. And, and then it gives me a different path to consider, you know, it may not be the right thing, but it may be. So I think a lot of these questions that we got, like if you send in a question, you don't feel like it got answered here, look at your question and then maybe go back through you know, listen to yeah. some of the things that that we have in the show notes for this episode, or just kind of don't put it in in the t- context of what should I do for my baby, but just look at it like you're a weirdo and you're little ape. You know, you're Diane Fossey and you're the little ape, and that might help maybe if you're feeling frustrated with your question or with us. <laughs> I think I think at some point. At many points, everybody feels frustrated with us. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that here's the thing. Like, I can't, I can't, and you don't want me to think and decide for you. What what you really want of, of really your educators and your people putting out information is to put out information in a way that allows you to think about it, that helps mm-hmm. you think about it, because these are personal decisions. Absolutely. And there, there's no right or wrong. You're already nailing it. Mm-hmm. And it's really just about you choosing a particular trajectory. If it's different than the one that you're on, that you're armed with what it takes. Like there is no going backward. There's only going forward. So, so you just go, Oh, where would I like to head now? And then you Mm -hmm. just go like, there's nothing, 
There's nothing really to come from lamenting. There's only something to come from actively choosing. Right. And just the more you know, the more you know. That's what I have to say about that. And I'm just going to do a short plug for our appearance in Boulder. We're just going to appear. We're going to show up and then we're going to leave. Nope. Katie is going to come visit me in Boulder and she's going to go to the Boulder bookstore with me. And we are going to talk to people and answer questions. And that's on May 21st at 5 in the evening at the Historic Boulder Bookstore in the Pearl Street Mall, which is awesome if you've never been there. If you like the way bookstores smell like old bookstores with the wood banisters and it's heaven. Anyway, you can get your tickets in the store itself. Or should I give the number out or is that weird? It's not weird. Okay. You can also call the store. They don't have them online. So you can call the store at 303-447-2074 and get your vouchers like five bucks and you get to apply it towards a book purchase. Boom. There you go. Boom. All right. Well, thank you, Danny, because you're awesome. And so are you. That was a fun conversation. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. For more information, books, online classes, etc., you can find me at nutritiousmovement.com. You can learn more about Danny Hemet Movement Warrior with the upper body strength of a baby. I don't believe that for one second. Hey, thinking back to our goal show, how are you coming uh along on your pull-ups? Okay, well, just so you know, I did take a picture of my breasts, which I will share (laughs) at the end of the year, so so you can see the difference. Oh, goody! It's like like Christmas coming early. Actually, somebody posted on Facebook the other day, like, Danny, I was thinking about your breasts the other day. How are they doing? You know, it's like... Back down, back down. You and everyone else. I'm working on it. I have, uh, what, eight months until I have to fully report, but okay. All right. Sorry. Totally, no, I'm totally, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm totally, I work on it almost every single day in some form or the other. All right. Well, you can harass Danny Hemet about her breasts, <laughs> about her breasts and her upper body strength at moveyourbodybetter.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 